Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Hey, I'm glad you could be with me today for this episode. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Church hurt is something that a lot of us have experienced. And even if you don't have a specific experience with spiritual abuse, it's not uncommon for single moms to feel like we just don't fit, that there's not really a space for us in our church congregations. I'm joined in this conversation today by author Erica Anderson. And Erica is here to talk with us about how we can safely re-engage or engage in a fresh way in our church communities in ways that allow us to experience what it is to be part of the body of Christ and to give and receive the blessings that God has through his hands and feet. This is our last episode for the year. I'm going to take a couple of weeks off and gear up for a brand new season of the Christian Single Moms podcast in 2023. And God has been working on some fun surprises that I'm excited to bring to you. More to come in the new year, but I just want you to know that I am praying over you and your family this holiday season. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from me and the entire team here at Plus One Parents. Over the last several months, I've received several emails from women asking, where is the loneliness type quiz? And it is back. As single moms, loneliness is something we all have to deal with, but the reasons why we each deal with it are different and don't have that much to do with being in a relationship. To learn more about your experience with loneliness, what's causing it, and some of the ways out, start with our What's Your Loneliness Type quiz. And you'll find a link to that down in the show notes or by heading over to plusoneparents.org. As we venture into this conversation today, I just want to say that I know that this can be a difficult subject. I know that the conversation might bring up some difficult feelings and some hard memories, and I'm right there with you. This is part of my story, too. Here is my conversation with Erica Anderson. Erica, I am so excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, friend, I'm just, I'm so thrilled. You've got a new book coming out and it really touches on this experience that many of us have had as single moms, this experience of woundedness in the church. And I think this is such an important topic because it can be hard for us to wrangle the various traumas we're going through, whether that's, you know, with a, a breakup, a divorce, abuse recovery, these types of things, and then also be trying to navigate church hurt that may have happened on top of that, whether that was in our distant past or whether that's something we're grappling with right now, perhaps in the middle of a, a major breakup. So as we get started, though, in the beginning of your book, one of the things that you point to that's very important in being tr- in trying to separate out 
some of what we are experiencing and and figure out where we even move forward is this understanding between the little C church and the big C church. And I think this is such a great place for us to start when it comes to figuring out how do I heal from this? You know, where do I go next? So mm-hmm. would you start us there and why the distinction between this big C and little C is so important to trauma recovery? Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, I think it's important to establish those two different things because throughout the book, I am talking about both, although the book is primarily about the little C church, but the the big C church is sort of the universal family of God. So anyone that identifies as a Christian has accepted Jesus into their heart um, is is part of the global church. Like you don't have to go anywhere and you are part of that family. You're in. So you really can't, you're in, you can't really <laughs> leave the church in that sense if you're a Christian. Um, but the Little C Church is sort of the smaller entity, the broken out geographical location, usually geographical location um, of that larger church. And that's important because although we have our global brothers and sisters, um, God really created us for embodied community and smaller um, groups where we can actually be encouraged and discipled and held accountable and be helpful and encouraging and all of these things. And we do that through local churches. And one of the first things that people always say to me, if I'm doing a TikTok video about this and someone pushes back, they'll say, oh, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Because when I would talk about it, a lot of times it sounds like I'm talking about a building. But what I say in response to that is, I know that, you know, I know the church is not a building. For those that don't know, the original word for church, ecclesia, um, means a gathering of people. And so, yes, it means a gathering of people, but often we need somewhere to meet. And so usually that's a building. Um, And yes, that's on Sundays. However, the local church, the Little C Church, is so much more than one hour on Sunday mornings, or at least it should be. And if it's not, you you might want to read my book and learn a little bit more about it. Um, but yeah, so that's the difference. And we're what we're seeing is a lot of women have left the local C, the little C church. And specifically, single moms are one of those demographics that when I was doing my original research for this, probably the highest statistic on those that don't go for obvious reasons, like logistical, but then also feeling like they don't fit in churches that are really catering towards traditional families. And so that was definitely something that at the beginning of this, I was like, I have to include this in the book. And that's when I found you and a couple other ladies that work with single moms. And so it was really important to me that we talk about this. I love that throughout your book, you mentioned specifically that struggle for single moms. That is something that you are not, it's not just like it's in there. It's just like at the forefront because the fact is, yes, like very many single moms feel unsupported in so many ways. But on top of this, you know, there is that sense that yes, you don't fit. And there is that sense that, okay, but I've got to get me and all the kids to to this building, you know, to meet with these people, right? Yeah, it's a but, task. <laughs> right, right. But But on top of this, there is a, for many of us, there's a wounding that has occurred somewhere in our story. And whether that was something that occurred in childhood or something that came later, maybe as you're trying to piece apart, like what is going on in your marriage and that kind of stuff. Or for some of us, like myself, it's both. You know, it can be really off-putting. It can be traumatic. Walking into a church can absolutely put you into that triggered 
you know, sort of mode where the the anxiety is rising up, the heart palpitations get going. I mean, I'm sorry, because I, I know somebody's probably feeling a mess. I'm saying that right now, <laughs> but it's real. And I think the dismissal of that experience is one of the reasons why it is so hard to engage. And so because of then so many of the layers of things, it's like, well, you know, internet, like church sounds good today, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I think what I've learned in the past couple of years as I've dug into this is the importance of validating people's pain. Um, If somebody feels something, they feel something. Feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really necessarily choose them. They appear and there they are. And regardless of if they're rational or not, or if they're um, something that someone else knows what that feels like or not. And so I think it's important to just recognize that those exist and like recognize that you have to work through that. Uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, I never want to pressure anyone like, oh, you have to go make this decision right away. I think it's perfectly healthy to take time away from church if that's what you need for some period of time. I do think you should plan on trying to get back at some point, but that doesn't mean it has to be tomorrow. So that's that's another thing. Um but yeah, I, I think so. I write in the book, I thought this was so fascinating. I talked to a friend who's a psychoanalyst in the book, and she was talking with me about some of the terms that she uses in her practice. And she um actually one of the things that she does is she herself is not really religious, but she actually prescribes um going to church or going to some kind of faith community for people that are struggling with like depression or other issues because of the benefits of that. Um, But one of the things that she sees in situations where people have dealt with abuse or other kinds of trauma is this thing called schema, where your brain sort of um, is is mapped out to revert to those trigger responses, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about, to like those fight or flight responses um, from things in the past. And rather than simply accepting that as it is, it's really important, I think, for people to recognize that they need to work through some of those things because it's actually not healthy to be triggered. Um, And just like any other kind of trauma, if there was a church trauma in your background, like that's not right and that shouldn't have happened to you, but it's still something that you need to work through and deal with. And I don't mean you're going to deal with that in the church. I mean, maybe in counseling or, you know, other things and then church and prayer and all of that can be sort of the topping on that. Um, But it's not, it's not trauma to ignore just like anything else. If you were abused um, in a in a marriage or in a relationship, you need to work through that because not every person in your future is going to be abusive. And so um, sometimes people don't like that example, um, but I do think it serves the purpose of the point I'm trying to make and that we have to think about this in a healthy way. Yeah. And I think what you're alluding to here, though, is a both and. There is a time to be away. There is a time to heal. There is a time to work through some of those trigger points. And and there is a time to re-engage. There is a time to experience what you said. I love the phrase you just said, embodied community, that there is a, a tangible experience with the goodness of God that we experience with good, healthy Christian community. And mm-hmm. the devil would love to see us so broken down by the things that have happened to us in churches in the past that we would not experience that community, that we would not experience what it is to belong somewhere and to be blessed 
you know, in many ways, tangibly, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, by supportive community, especially for single moms. My goodness, it's one of the things that God has used in in nurturing me back to life in this season is my church family, you know? And so the, the enemy would just love to see us though, like sheep that are just off on our own, where we're easily picked off and just feeling defenseless. And we have the ability, though, to step to these things gently, as you just pointed out, that hurt in the past does not have to mean that now we're cut off from this blessing that God has for us in community in the future. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I talk about a lot, because I think this is so important, is the importance of opening your mind to going somewhere different. I think a lot of people, you grow up in a certain kind of church and it's kind of scary. It's a little bit um, intimidating to try a different kind of church. Like I know I've been to Catholic mass a couple of times and I'm totally uncomfortable when I go because I don't know what I'm doing and they have their rituals. And it's really like that though in any kind of new church environment because everybody kind of has their own thing. But I think we need to give it a chance. And a lot of people never do that. They say, oh, I'm done. I'm done with Catholicism. I'm doing, or I'm done with, you know, Southern Baptists, like, so there's nothing else for me, but there are so many other options out there um, that I would never want someone to give up simply because of one particular kind of church or denomination. I love that you pointed to that. And I think the thing that's interesting is we're not doing this on our own. The Lord will actually guide you. If you're asking him like, Lord, will you help me find my people? And he did that for me. I grew up in a very traditional type of liturgical denomination. And in just the process of of growing and maturing in my faith and then going through this divorce, he led me into a non-denominational context and then a Pentecostal context. And that is something I would have never thought to choose for myself. I grew up on the West Coast of the United States. Pentecostalism is not as prevalent as it is now where I am here in the South, you know? And so it just is not something at all that I had on my radar. But yet in that context, I went to a very small community where it was very ordered. So I could learn about, you know, these expressions of the Holy Spirit in a way that felt safe with people that deeply love the Lord, that gave you room to have your experience with God, that weren't trying to say, well, are you sure you heard from Him? Or, you know, those types of things that they were really teaching, though, discernment in those in, in the Spirit. And then I met also a mentor, you know, a woman who had been through an abusive marriage as well, who was able to sit with me and disciple me and walk with me and have coffee with me and cry with me and all of the things. And I couldn't have picked that though, Erica. I could not have, I could not have imagined when I walked into that church sanctuary for the first time and did feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you yeah. Know, that that was what was awaiting me. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, you mentioned discipling. And I think that, well, number one, I think that's missing a lot. Um, I think that's something that churches really need to improve on. But I also think that discipleship is a very um, organic thing that comes together. You can't really necessarily have a sign-up sheet where you're like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. here's this person and this person we're going to meet now. It's an organic, supernatural thing that God brings together. Um, And you've got to be in the room for that to happen. And I use an example in the book um, of a, of a time in college when um, I, I lived with all these girls and, and they were always like kind of home hanging out, but I, I had a job and I had these other friends and I came home one day and they were talking about some funny story. And I was like, Oh, I wish uh, that's so, I, that was, sounds like so much fun. Like, and she was like, well, one of my friends was like, 
well, you just have to be here. You just, Mm. if you're not, you can't plan it. You're not planning this thing that happened. Just like, if you're not there, just showing up, you're going to miss it. And so you don't know what you're missing. If you're not showing up, you don't know what God has for you or who God has for you. You're missing his blessing when you don't show up. And we know because the Bible tells us like to not neglect meeting together, that he does want us to meet together. And so um, in your hurt, again, of course, I'm saying like, you know, you can take time away, but like you say, seek God's guidance on this and, and, and do use the tools at your disposal. So reading scripture, I mean, I just can't tell you how much I believe in, in the live livelihood of scripture and how um, it is a living word. And when you read it, God is going to speak to you through those pages um, regarding whatever it is that you're going through. Like don't neglect reading the Bible, um, you know, going to church, reading the Bible. There's all these different components of a holistic spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when you're not using all of them, you're going to be missing something. So mm, that's a really good point. Okay, let's get real for a second. Have you ever just looked around at your life and thought, is this really all that there is? I know I have. But what if God actually agrees with us? Plus One Parents has released a brand new Bible study experience called Made for More, 30 Days of Discovering God's Redemption in Your Disappointment. In this study, you'll have a look at the scriptures and what they tell us about where God is in our disappointment, what He is doing to draw near to us even when we have doubt and exactly what he is doing to redeem every last piece of our stories, even the mistakes. Made for More is now available, and it's part of the Plus One Parents Collective all-access membership level, which you'll find a link to down in the show notes. What you see around you in life right now is not all that there is. You were made for more. One of the things you talk about in the terms of re-engagement, though, too, is the fact that our relationship with God, so this relationship they were having on our own, you know, our regular Monday through Saturday, you know, sort of of experience. Well, we're doing it Sunday too, but you know, where we are having this daily experience with the Lord though, that that is something that is protective for us mm-hmm. in that process of re-engagement. Would you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So it's stopping for a minute, like really, sometimes we're just go, go, go. And we never like sit in silence for a second and just consider what do I really believe? Do I believe in the God that I say I believe in? It's getting honest with God and just saying, okay, if I believe what I say I believe, then what does that mean? Well, that means I'm going to trust God to lead me through this. It means that I'm not necessarily going to know every next step that I'm going to take. I mean, I love, you know, the song and the Psalm, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And I've used this example before, but like, it doesn't say that, you know, thy word is a, um, you know, a shining headlight down 50 miles down the road. It basically is like, it's one step ahead. Mm -hmm. He allows you to see one step ahead. And so it's hard to do that. That's really hard. It's almost like just living in the day that you're in and taking one step at a time, but we can do that. We have the capacity to do that through the Holy Spirit and we just have to believe it. And it just takes a little bit of faith to be able to hang on. And you can use those tools, um, especially scripture and prayer to just take it day by day. And um, I don't believe God will lead you astray. I, I mean, he won't. He will not if you keep your yeah. eyes on him. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, being able to have some of these distinctions between, you know, little C and big C, or even between the church and God is so important because it can feel that 
I feel unsafe with God because of the experiences we've had with people. You Mm -hmm. know, it can feel, for example, that maybe I don't like church at all. Big C church don't like God's people because of what has happened to me in this little C church, you know? And Mm so when we, especially if you've experienced a a spiritual abuse from a church leader as a child, Mm -hmm. then you may be very much not sure about who God is because the person who taught you God, you know, or or even maybe even claim to speak for God hurt you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it is not uncommon to have confusion there. And as we know, God is not a God of confusion. And that if the enemy has brought forth confusion, and this is where I think having that time to pull back and say, okay, what what do I believe? Like what you're saying and, and doing some of that work is where we have the ability to separate out, okay, what was this person or what was this church and what is possible though? Are there other safe people? Are there other safe places? And knowing all the while, as you said, God's not going to lead you astray. He doesn't want you to be, he goes for the one that's lost, right? He doesn't want you to be wandering around, easy to be picked off, right? And so this, but there is a lot of deep, deep, deep heart work that's in this. And it's hard because our identity is inextricably tied to God and how we understand Him. And so when we don't understand Him, we're conflicted about our own selves, we're conflicted about what we believe and all of those sorts of things. and we may have, you know, end up on one of two extremes where we're kind of open to a lot of suggestions. There's a lot of stuff out there that's still not good. And we need discernment about those. But we may then also find ourselves just kind of like, well, you know what? Like, I feel like my relationship with me and God is okay. And maybe I don't need anybody else who's involved in that. Yeah. I mean, I think what comes to mind there is, well, number one, you don't have to figure anything out before you come to God. So I mean, there's no like, oh, I have to do all of this work before. Like, that's definitely not it. Um, but something that I has really resonated with me through another community that I'm in is, is this line that says, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And it's not your responsibility because like, you have to go back to church and figure this out. It's just, it's your life. And at some point we have, we have to take I don't want to say take control because I don't want to, you know, because I don't think it's about us having control necessarily, but just like you've got to take your own steps to healing um, just as you would in any other kind of situation, or you're going to remain infected that Mm -hmm. that trauma from the church will remain infected and never get better. If you don't, you know, treat it with the tools that it needs to be treated with. And I just don't think this is any different than other kinds of trauma. And yet I do think sometimes it is looked at that way, almost as if, well, this happened. So, you know, the church is going to be, you know, forever this problem for me. And that's not to invalidate anyone's um, struggle, but just to say, could you look at it from an outside perspective and see how it could be comparable to other kinds of trauma? Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of us, there's not necessarily, I think for a lot of us, we feel that that maybe there's this pull though, that we should, like we want to be there, you know, that yeah. we, that there there's something if, you know, we're walking with the Lord, like there's something that, that feels just like it's not full, it's the, the experience is not a full one, you know? And so right. it's not like a, hey, we're going to should you into going to church sort of thing, but like that if this is part of your story, that there is an empowerment though, um, and an encouragement 
that if you're feeling that, that is a, often a nudge from God saying, I've got more for you. And mm-hmm. stepping into that, though, I think one of the things that's really tough, I think, especially for women, is that to really be engaged, though, and to really do discipleship, like what you're talking about, there's vulnerability there. And even when you think about small groups and sharing and, you know, those sorts of things, some of us, that's not a problem. We can jump right into a small group and feel like we've got stuff to share. And for others of us, it's like, oh my goodness, if you heard my story, you would just run. Or I don't think you can handle it. I can't trust any people with my story, you know, those kinds of things. For that part of it, you know, where maybe we're starting to find a congregation, but we know that we've got to like take that next step, you know, what are some things that we can do to step towards that vulnerability, but also discern whether or not this is the right space for us? Okay, well, two things. The first thing is, I think, um, just kind of touching back on the trauma, I think that there are, there's sort of a movement now of like house churches. And I would really encourage people to look into some of those um, networks. Um, There's an organization called Fresh Expressions as well that really has connections with all kinds of different sort of smaller, non-traditional spaces. And, you know, it may be for some people that meeting in a living room is much better. Mm. Um, I'm connected with a guy who sort of led a network of house churches and he was, quote, the pastor. But he's like, but I'm not there sometimes because I'm traveling because I don't want it to be about me. And there's a lot of church networks now that are sort of decentralizing the pastor because it's not about the pastor. And a lot of times it can be. And if you've been in an experience like that, um, that might be the kind of place that would work better for you. And so I'm thankful to see all of these different kinds of churches that are becoming available, obviously more available if you live in a more populous area, but they are there. And so I would just recommend looking into that. The second thing I was going to say, what was the second thing I was going to (laughs) say? Okay. We're talking about vulnerability and discernment. Okay. Yes. Vulnerability. So um, on that note, and I've been lucky enough to get to write a couple of articles that actually are going out to church leaders. So speaking to them about how they can be more welcoming to this group of women. And um, I really encourage churches to be more transparent and vulnerable, to tell those stories um, one of the things I've done in my own church, and and I want more people to do this, is I went in front of my own church and talked to my, my own struggle with drinking and how I had gotten sober and, you know, the struggle I had. And I was like very transparent. Now, my church is small. I wasn't talking to a stadium of 500,000 people. Uh, it was probably like 150 people. Um, but I did that because I had been in these recovery meetings And I was like, you know what? You shouldn't have to go to AA to feel like you can lay it all out there. And I want church to be more like AA. Because if you've ever been to a recovery meeting of any kind, you know what a beautiful, like sacred space that is because people are literally just laying their hearts out. And to me, that is a dream that I have for churches. And small groups are a great place for that to be able to begin to happen. And that is actually my small group at church was actually the very first place that I ever was able to say a word about my struggle. And I was so terrified. I was like, so nervous. I thought they were going to judge me and like, think I was a bad mom and all of these things. But it was in that moment that I shared with my small group, that was my literally my first step to freedom. I can't tell you how scared I was to ever say it. And ever since then, I've been walking closer to freedom. I've been so open about it. I have no problem talking about it now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And if you would have told me that three years ago, I would have been like, whatever. But now everybody that knows me knows all about it because (laughs) I want to be that support for people. And I want more of that in churches because people in your church are not the perfect, you know, necessarily people that you may think they are. Um, And so I encourage people to be more open. Yeah. And I think whether you're going small church or small group or both and, you know, whatever the case is, it is so much these one-on-one type of experiences or, you know, one and a few type of, of experiences where we can really be met. You know, if you think about your larger Sunday gathering, you know, everybody's, you know, kind of here, there and everywhere. And we've got kids and we've got worship and we've got, you know, message. And and it's just sort of like the, you're there for, the, you know, this finite amount of time. But when it comes to who are the people that are walking with me that I'm doing life with, you know, I found being able to figure out who's the safest really often people will be vulnerable with you first. You know, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll tell you their story. You know, I had people that when I was very first divorced that were, you know, obviously that's like part of my story that's just there, right? It's like, they see mm-hmm. me rolling in. I got three kids. I got no ring on. Like, okay, well, you're a single mom. Like, you know, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to share anything. There's not any like big moment of revelation. Um, but there were people that right off the bat, you know, we're like, oh, you should meet so-and-so. She's a single mm. mom also. Or, you know, my uh, husband was divorced also, you know, and, you know, let me tell you a story about our family, you know, and it's just, it was like, everybody was actually willing to to meet me where I was at and not in a pity yeah. party kind of a way, not in a weird, like, oh, you're our project now, you know, yeah. sort of thing. But it became just this beautiful way of seeing like, wow, this is how God uses the church to like, pull people together and we can work through the broken things. And where I'm in a season of brokenness right now, you may have like already been in that season or you might still be in that season, but you're like five more minutes down the road, you know, but it's just how that, that instead of being the thing that makes us feel outcasted or ostracized is the actual thing that makes us belong. Yeah. I would say that I love your point there about like, you just kind of walk in and it's obvious about sort of little bits of your background. And um, it, I would say it's been a similar thing for me. It's like sort of when I've been very, um, very vocal about my sobriety, um, most of the time when people meet me or they see me, they haven't seen me like, like that's just sort of already there. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that makes me in a way a safe person. They're like, well, she's obviously admitting this or she's like, it's out there. Like she's had yeah. a problem. She struggled yeah. and it, and it does make you feel safer. Um, and so I know not everyone is, is as comfortable. Like not, I'm not saying you, you need to like go share, share your problems with the world. I am right. a very extroverted, like vocal person <laughs> in general. It's my personality, but, um, I don't think you should be scared because even if like you can go first and I think you'll be surprised at how, like kind and gracious people will be that you would even be willing to share your story with them because believe it, everyone has a hard story. I mean, there's no one that's walking around that doesn't have something um, that's very human and very hard. um, And and we just don't know what they are most of the time. It's like that social media world where everything looks perfect, but we know that it's really not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's something that that's something that's pervasive often in the church culture that if they are willing to step to brokenness, if they have causes very specifically where people are rolling up their sleeves and getting involved or doing life with one another, those sorts of things, 
when that is something that is important to the leadership, it trickles on down through the congregation, but it also goes from the congregation back up to the leadership. And so when there's this healthy exchange where the leaders are not over the congregation, but are within the congregation and there's a mutual influence that's happening there, I think that's where you really can have a grasp on a culture that is safe. And yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I love how at my church, like we basically, we have our small groups on Wednesday nights at the church and my pastor, he usually just kind of comes in and sits in and kind of participates, but not really like, he's just a member of the group. Like he's not like coming in and being like, I'm the pastor, you know? And I, I love that idea because the pastor does have a certain responsibility and a job to do. And, and they have like a higher sort of accountability, you know, and in that job, but they are just human beings and they are imperfect people and we don't need to put them on pedestals, Mm -hmm. um, in, in that unhealthy kind of way. And so, you know, and then if you're at a church or you're looking at a church that doesn't do it that way, and you don't like that, well, look for somewhere else. I, I made a little mini video series actually, um, to go along with the book. It's just called how to find a new church 101. I just thought it would be a fun, um, kind of companion piece of content to go with the book. And so, um, I talk a lot about, you know, how you can make those decisions, like what you can look for, what's important in looking for a new church. And, um, actually right now it's, like if you pre-order the book, like I have this whole list of freebies that you can get. And so that's one of the freebies, a free video course. That is great. Interested in that, they can just go grab it. <laughs> that's such a helpful resource. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Erica, also though, some of this pull, you know, in us is, it's related to our kids, you know, that mm-hmm. some of it, maybe even we're in a church congregation we don't like, but we're there because our kids want to be there. We need, we want them to be there, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, and trying to balance out those needs though of what I feel like I need, what my kids need, that can be a struggle. But just the fact of us feeling that pull though for them um, can be another way though that this is is sort of God's invitation to us to, to experience the benefits of the family being involved in the church congregation. You've done some research on that. Would you talk more about the benefits to our kids being engaged in the local church? Oh yeah, there's so many benefits. Um, Now, the one thing I will say is you can't just rely on the church. I've been really big on telling parents like, hey, really the most important thing that you can do for your kids is be discipling them and really teaching them at home about your faith and how to live that out. Um, But the church is a wonderful companion to that. Um, and uh, kids that go to church on a weekly basis throughout their childhood statistics show that they're like happier, they're more secure, they're stronger in their faith. There are so many positive benefits to going to church. Um, and I know that it's, again, we're talking like it's not a building, right? But the, all the studies show when you're talking about going to church, it's always that weekly attendance, honestly, that makes a difference. Even monthly is not the same. Um, one of the stats, I'm kind of digressing here, but one of the stats that came out of COVID that was like my favorite stat um, is that those who went to church weekly during COVID, and that's just even attending online, obviously a lot of us had to do that for a while. Um, only those people who were consistent with their church attendance were the ones that came out with a better mental health mm-hmm. after COVID. Every single other demographic of people, mental health was down. Uh, and I was like, wow, that is so interesting to me. It's that showing up. And there are tons of other stats that line up with that, like 
women are much five times less likely to attempt suicide if they go to church weekly and, you know, less likely to be depressed, more generous, all of these things. It's amazing. Um, but back to, um, the kid factor, um, you know, the majority of people become Christians before the age of 14. And most of them do that through a church setting. And so it's not like they become a Christian and like, that's it. Your job is done. No, it's not like that. But you want to set them up for the very best opportunity to get to know the Lord, to get to know and understand what the faith community is and why it matters. Um, and just set them up for a lifetime of what they're going to need. I know I had that from my mom and it was really, I mean, it's been such a cornerstone of my life. Like it has shaped my life in so many ways that my mom got up and took us to church. And my mom, my dad never went to church. She did it by herself my whole life. And we never missed. And even now she's like, did you go to church? Um, And she takes, she's got nine grandkids and my sister lives near her. My sister doesn't really go. And so my mom will just get over there and she will go take the kids to church because she's like, I don't know, there's something in her that she knows it matters. And she imprinted that on me. And um, it's made a lifetime of difference. I think what's incredible too is this extension of spiritual family. And especially in our families where there's a missing family member, you know, essentially that raising our kids in a household where there is not a father, they may have one, they may not. Um, But regardless of that factor that kids are always still going to be looking for those validating voices. And Mm -hmm. we did a episode last year with a child psychologist who talked about, especially as your kids get closer to a teenage age, that they're looking for someone that they call the third parent, where it's someone who Mm -hmm. is not your mom, not your dad, but it is this other adult leading voice that they are looking for. And church is the place where we have the ability to offer our kids, they're going to choose. It's not going to be because we chose this third parent for Mm -hmm. them, that that our kids have the ability, though, to choose from other God-seeking, Spirit-led men and women to be their role models and to help shape their lives. Because if we are not offering that opportunity for them, they may find it some other place and we may it, it may not be what we would want for them. And that's not to say like, oh, doom and gloom, like get your kid into a church and that kind of thing. But it's also the thing where it's like, my small group has done so much heavy lifting for me when it comes to taking my kids aside and taking them to do fun things one-on-one, you know, that they have a particular interest that I don't share with my kids. You know, my, my kids are not a carbon copy of me. There are some things that we share in common and there are other things like my son loves cars and I can't do anything for him with that, you know, <laughs> but he can talk cars with the other men from small group, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just things like that. I think, especially for moms raising any kids on your own, but raising especially boys on your own to have other godly men who are role models. Again, regardless of whatever their situation is with their biological father, they still are going to need these other voices, godly voices to speak into their lives and to back us up. They don't always want to listen to us, right? (laughs) Right. And I... And so with you on that point, because it doesn't even, it doesn't matter who you are, the more trusted uh, adults 
in a child's life, the better, the more secure they are, the more options they have if they're falling out in some way, shape or form. And I know I've heard parents of older kids talk about wanting to make sure that there is a trusted adult that that kid feels comfortable going to if they don't want to go to their parents. Because a lot of times when you're a teenager, you might not want to go to your parents. You might not want to tell your mom. Um, but you want to have those sort of like those backup voices where like, who's the default person if my parents aren't there? And especially like you said, in situations where it is a single mom or even a single dad, whatever, more adults in their lives is is better. It, it's always better. And I, I think of it like, just like the security um, thing. What is, what's the word of blanket? I don't know. <laughs> underneath, underneath the cat catches them net security yes. nets. Um, I think of that because, um, you know, there's so, so oftentimes I think of my husband and he grew up in a really tough situation and, and he didn't really have that. And, and I just, it, it always makes me so sad and hearing his story, which I wrote about in my first book, hearing his story is what propelled me to really start advocating for mentorship and to shout it everywhere that, Hey, like, a, a trusted adult in a kid's life, a vulnerable kid especially, um, can literally save their life, can literally change their life in terms of education, economics, um, you know, drugs, homelessness, all of these things can be changed even by just one. And so when you're within that faith community, those are people that want to help. And I write in the story about um, a girl that goes to my church named Lisa. She um, went to the church. I didn't go there at the time. She um, was there. She then she got divorced um, soon after she got pregnant. And she was like, I couldn't have made it without like my small group. Like mm-hmm. there was not ever any bit of judgment. They threw me a baby shower. They were in the hospital with me when she was born. And now she's still, I mean, now her daughter is like six years old and they still go to the church and she still relies on the church. And she's like, yeah, they were there for me all the way. And I know that's not everybody's story. I know that some people haven't had that experience and I hate that for them. And I want to go shake anybody that made someone feel bad because that really bothers me. Um, But I know that there is more awareness now. We've got groups like yours. There are several other groups out there that are sort of trying to raise awareness um, and make sure that we are in every decision that church leadership is making that we're thinking about people that are not just your typical family, like your traditional family. Cause that's, I mean, maybe that's the majority, but maybe, but not by much, you know, it's a shrinking demographic for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that's not great, but that's what it is. And so we have to adapt our outreach and our love and our engagement and make sure everybody feels welcome and able to be part of the community. So well said, Erica. I am just so grateful for the work that you're doing to open up that dialogue because that's really where it begins. It's just being able to say, this is a group of people who is not being represented, is not being, not having their voices heard and we need to help. Yeah, definitely. Erica, I am so grateful for your insights in this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Oh my goodness. That's a lot of pressure. Okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) One thing. um, I think it would just be, in terms of a church context, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, Maybe that's obvious, but... 
I think a lot of times people are hesitant to ask for help. They don't want to look needy. They don't want to look greedy. They don't want to look helpless. But, you know, there's a girl at, at my church that she is having a tough time financially. And I told her, like one time she couldn't come to church because she said, I just didn't have the gas money. And I said, girl, if you need gas money, you need to just send me a text and I'm going to Venmo you. And honestly, the next week she actually reached out to me and said that she needed help getting her um, oil changed or something on her car. And she's like, I wouldn't, you know, I hate to ask, but, and I was like, I told you to ask. And I had no, I sent her the money. You know, I didn't care. And so never be afraid to ask, you know, if you're truly in need, like Mm -hmm. the church wants to help you. They want to be there for you. That's why they're there. And um, I don't think you're going to get turned down. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's not an easy thing. It's absolutely often, and I needed this to be given the permission, you know, to step into that and to say it is, it is okay to rely on other people and where it's not been safe in the past to rely on other people. Sometimes the way that God shows us where it is safe is for us to step into those things that are really hard. So I appreciate that encouragement. That's part of why the church is here. I mean, that's what I say. Like, that is why the church is here to take care of one another. We are not supposed to live life on our own. We're really not. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's the American way, but we're really not. That's right. So. That's right. Erica, would you tell listeners about the new book and yes. how they can follow you? Sure. So the book is called Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. And obviously talks a lot about many of the things we talked about today. Um, but truly, God just put this this message on my heart when I saw some of the statistics about how many women were leaving church. And um, it really broke my heart. And I just felt him calling me to research this and talk about it and really just dig into it and try to understand what was going on. And I did that. And I feel like I spoke to it well. And I think, um, you know, if you have any interest in this whatsoever, whether you are a full-blown church-going Christian mom that's there every week and want to, you know, spread the message of the local church, or if you're someone that hasn't been there in a while and you're just kind of thinking about it, or maybe you have experienced church hurt. There's just so many types of women that I think would benefit from reading this book. And you can buy it on Amazon. Um, it's on some other places too, like Barnes and Noble, but you know, Amazon, that's where everybody gets books. Um, and uh, you can pre-order it now. And uh, I would love it if you did. Absolutely. And where can they follow you on social? Yeah. So just Erica Anderson, pretty much everywhere. E-R-I-C-K-A-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. It's a little weird of a spelling, but yeah, just type my name in. I should pop up on all the things. Yep. And we'll include links in the show notes to make it easier for awesome. listeners to find you and the new book, which I endorsed. Yes, <laughs> I yes, highly, yes you recommend. did. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I'm so uh, grateful for that. Oh, Erica, I'm just, I'm so glad to have the time to sit down with you today. Yes. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this conversation with Erica, I've got a couple of others that I can suggest for you as well. Check out episode 140, When Church Isn't Safe, How Abuse Survivors Can Find Safe People with Mary Demuth. Also, check out episode 125, Children, Trauma, and Abuse, Helping Your Child Recover When You're Healing Too with Justin Holcomb. I'd love to invite you to get more involved with the Plus One Parents community. If you head over to plusoneparents.org, you can sign up to become part of our free private community experience, the Plus One Parents Collective. 
On the website, you can also check out our blog and other resources on topics relating to dating and parenting, abuse recovery, and spiritual well-being. Or you can also get on our mailing list to receive Plus One Parent exclusive updates. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.